Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I come from the school of Tupac. I'm around. You don't want to what? Stans, I want to ask you a question real quick. Let's just keep it real straight shot with no chaser. I'm going to get a little bit rougher. I'm here for those who really believe in the American process. All of us. Straight shot, no chaser. With your girl, Tesla Figaro, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Hey, Straight Shooter family, I have some exciting news. I am on the road right now traveling with attorney Benjamin Crump, promoting his new Netflix documentary titled Civil which will premiere on Netflix on Sunday, June 19th. That's Juneteenth, by the way. In the film, you will notice your girl having a conversation with Attorney Crump. That conversation was recorded right here on the Straight Shot No Chaser podcast. So I thought this would be a great time to reboot the episode for you to check it out. Listen to part one of the episode, check out the film on Sunday, June 19th, and then prepare to listen to part two on next week. And then we will discuss the film my interview, and any questions that you have on upcoming Straight Shot No Chaser lives on Instagram. So make sure you lock in to my Instagram page at Tesla Figaro. Keep it locked in by subscribing to the Straight Shot No Chaser podcast. And please ask five friends to tap in. Again, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Tesla Figaro. I look forward to sharing my experience with you from the Tribeca Film Festival and the American Black Film Festival. And more importantly, hearing your feedback. Like I always say, use it, lose it, can't make you choose it. Dwayne, roll the tape. Today is very important, a very important day. We are setting the record straight with Attorney Benjamin Crump. This is one of my most important episodes for many reasons that you'll find out as we move forward in the podcast. The main reason is because I want all of the myths and misconceptions straightened out. Today, I'm going to give it to you straight shot, no chaser. This is unscripted. This is not pre-advanced questions. This is just a conversation between me and my friend, attorney Benjamin Crump. You know him as a gladiator. You know him as someone that comes in at what they call Ghostbusters, the black attorney general for America. He is someone that families call their first call when they want justice. Today, we're going to spend some time to get into the things that him and I talk about all the time. I am, just as a disclaimer, uh, attorney Benjamin Crump's one of his political consultants. We have worked together for years And one of the biggest frustrations that I have is the misinformation that is out there. We will certainly talk about cases. This will not be the last time that Attorney Benjamin Crump will join Straight Shot No Chaser with Tesla Figaro. But I really feel it's important that we spend some time digging into him as a person, as a human being, and what it means to carry the mantle of social justice. Welcome, Attorney Benjamin Crump. 
I'm so very honored to be one of your first guests on this incredible new podcast. It is so appropriate for you, Taz, because they don't know you give it straight, no chaser, even when you're not on air. Always. <laughs> yes, they do. And like Attorney Benjamin Crump always says, I give him unsolicited advice. That means that I tell him things that he did not ask for, <laughs> but I give it to him anyway. I will say this. I am so very proud of you. Uh, you know, your evolution continues to amaze me. And so, Taz, you know, God has a lot of things in store for you. This is but one step on the journey. Oh, thank you so much, Attorney Crump. I really, really appreciate your leadership. And, you know, this was so important to me because, as you know, I'm always saying, you know, Ben, I wish they would go deeper into you to talk about what you endure, why these families call you, what type of burden it puts on you, all of the things that go behind the scenes. I know we can't talk a lot about, you know, behind the scenes for client confidentiality, but as close to the line as we can get to really paint the picture is, is important to me. But I really want listeners to be able to address a lot of the things that they hear on social media. You are someone that is steadfast. You you are unmovable. When I call you like attorney Crump, they're saying this or that. And you're like, Tez, we got to stay focused on the main thing. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. We have to stay focused on what is ahead. And you are the most unbothered, calm, consistent client that I've ever worked with. To see how you work with so many different families always in a crisis is amazing. Let's deal with the first myth that I think is so important. A lot of people say, you know, why do they call attorney Crump? And I tell people that I was critical of you as well. Before I knew you, I didn't understand why do, you know, they call, why is he the one? Why is he the first, you know, person on the scene? After working with you and seeing the connection that you make with these families and the trust and the immediate rapport that you have to build within a matter of hours, sometimes seconds, because what people don't understand is when they call you in a crisis, it's immediate. There's no time to sit back and get to know one another or whatever. So you have to have an instant connection when you meet these families. Can you talk a little bit about why other attorneys, because I say this all the time, and you know I'm your Malcolm. You're the Martin, I'm the Malcolm. So a lot of civil, <laughs> a lot of civil rights attorneys, they don't want to take these cases. Can you talk about twofolds? Why local civil rights attorneys do not want to take these high-profile cases challenging the system? And then two, how do you connect with these families and why do you see them as being the go-to guy in this in this space? You know, Tesla, it, it is really deep when you think about a lot of people historically would not take these cases. I remember the great Dick Gregory told me uh, after Trayvon Martin uh, we were up in Philadelphia, Trayvon's mother and myself, and he said, you know, Ben Crump, what you have done is made it cool again to be a civil rights lawyer because after the King era and the 60s and so forth, everybody started going for money. Everybody was getting these corporate jobs and so forth. Nobody was talking about going to fight for marginalized, uh, disenfranchised black people. But what we started doing, and my law, former law partner, Daryl Parsons, and I, we went to law school to try to fight for our people to try to give them an equal opportunity at the American dream, an equal opportunity at achieving justice. And so I think the reason they called me, Tess, is just that I always try to be who I am. I try to be honest. I try to tell them I'm passionate about the cause of justice. I tell them that I promise you we would get to the truth. I never ever promised them that the 
justice system is going to work for them because in America, you have no guarantee at justice. All you have is a chance at justice. And so I know what we do on our side, Tez, as you and I talk a lot, I'm the civil rights attorney. And the only thing we can do as private citizens, private attorneys, is to bring a civil rights wrongful death lawsuit and get the family compensation. We can do no more than that based on our form of government. It is the elected government officials, the prosecutors, the state attorneys, the district attorneys who are the only ones who can arrest somebody, take away their liberty interest and put them in jail. So, you know, when I hear about these negative things being said on social media, I think about all the love and the respect we get, the fact that we can't stop our phones from ringing, Ted, as we often talked about. And then I think about my heroes. I think about Thurgood Marshall and all the criticisms he got, not just from white people, but from black people, the people he was trying to help. Martin Luther King, you know, you go watch uh, The King and the Winner, that probably the last three years of Martin Luther King's life, he was the most hated man in America, not by white people, by black people. Malcolm X hated and vilified. And so I say to myself, if all my heroes had to go through these trials and tribulations, who am I to think I'm better that I should not go through these trials and tribulations? Who am I to be so arrogant to think that everybody is going to love me? And the fact that we're taking on these highly, what others would call Tesla, controversial issues. When you're talking about white police officers going to jail, when for 401 years in America, that has not been the history of America. Normally they kill us and nobody's held accountable. So what we have been able to do in the last 10 to 15 years is change the conversation, change the narratives where we're having an expectation of white police officers going to prison for killing us. Remember, in our mother and grandparents' day, Emmett Till, that was accepted. That was the norm. And we think that in these 40, 50 years, America has changed. No, it has not. Tess, look at the statistics. I mean, 50% of the prisons in most states in America are occupied by black people, even though we only make up 13% of the population in America. The easiest way to get on death row in America, two ways. One, to be a person of color and to kill a white person. That's the quickest way to get to death row in America. The second quickest way to get to death row in America is to be a person of color and be accused of killing a white person. I mean, the quickest ways to get on death row. When you just oppose that task, you have white people kill black people and persons of color. There's no guarantee they're going to get on death row. There's no guarantee they're even going to prison. In fact, I mean, they kill us because of the racist Jim Crow stand your ground laws. They ain't no guarantee they're going to be arrested. They kill our children and go home and sleep in their beds at night. So that's the message that's being projected from our court system without saying a word that black lives don't matter as much as white lives. And we have to remember that we're fighting 400 years of systematic racism and oppression. So don't condemn the people who are out here trying to 
fight for you while you don't say anything about these prosecutors who keep letting these killer cops get off. These prosecutors who every day in every city and every state in America keep giving up these trumped up felony convictions against our children. Let's educate, engage, and empower our people and nobody does that like you Tess. I appreciate you saying that and that's why this interview is so critical because let's go back to when you talked about the money because this is one of the things I tell people all the time. People who think the money's in the civil rights business got it completely twisted. That's that's number one. It is so much easier to file a medical malpractice suit, get 20, 30, 40 million with endless funds available, number one, not have to deal with the public scrutiny, not a lot of times that's brought to media attention. Those are usually private matters, which addresses we're going to get to that when 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 we talk about how you bring the media involved in it and, and why that's so important. You could settle a medical malpractice lawsuit quietly under the table without the media because they think that the media plays a role in the settlement. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But we know that you can still get a big settlement without the media. We know that by medical malpractice under the table, limitless amount of, of money because you can sue the doctor, you can sue the hospital, you can sue everybody involved. We know that in the criminal justice space, that's not the case. Most state, city, and we're talking about police officers have caps on the amount of money that can be paid out uh, to someone. That's number one. Number two, we have what we call, what we're pushing for called an implied immunity, which will allow us to sue these police officers personally, which is not the case in a lot of states right now as we talk. Number three, who's to say that the police officer will even have a policy, if any? And if it is, maybe if, if you're lucky maybe a million dollar policy speak to this idea that is all about the money when you have to look at the balance of dealing with the death threats not even getting the money let's talk about how many black attorneys out there can actually push a case for a year or two or however long and have the resources that's what people don't understand it takes resources to file these cases you don't take one dime from these families unless you win just like anything else if somebody slips and falls or get hurt in an accident and you hear the commercial say I don't take a dime if you win talk about the investment the enormous amount of investment one from financial physical uh, spiritual meaning having to deal with the death threats and all of that that goes into these cases speak to that on how it is not just about the money on the civil side that this is the wrong business to get into if you're, if you're looking for money first. No, Taz, it's like my mother say, people want the glory, but they don't know my story. And that really speaks truth to power when you think about the fact that it is so easy to go just take the money. I have 13 officers around the country. I have lawyers who work with me who are exceptional lawyers who make money every day on personal injury, business-related cases, discrimination-related uh, cases, mass torts, class action work. And, and you know, Ted, because you do a lot of political consulting to help us frame these issues for the public when we go against these Goliath corporations. And I, I just think about the biggest amounts we made had nothing to do with civil rights last year. You know, we represented a young boy, a young white boy, in a, a golf cart accident and recovered $38 million. And so it's those type cases, you're right. It would be so easy just to concentrate on that. But I know why I became a lawyer. I did not become a lawyer just to make money. I became a lawyer to try to make a difference. And you can never, ever run from who you are. It is in my core, like it's in your Cortez, and like it's in people who care about our culture who care about our people to say, despite whatever they say, I'm going to try 
to make a difference, to make life better for them. And they may not appreciate it. And I think about, you know, we just uh, got a historic settlement in Flint, Michigan, the most ever paid out for children by an individual state, $600 million. And we're probably going to get another billion dollars from the federal government if we ever get it to court. That took five years. And while we're doing that, you're having to pay for all these experts, pay for all of this uh, deposition, pay for all of this discovery. You're investing millions and millions of dollars on a chance at justice, trying to get something that had never been done in Flint, Michigan. But you work with great lawyers and you say we're committed to equal justice under the law and that these black children lives matter. Because when Taz and I were going through Flint, we saw how devastating it was, this lead water crisis to black families. And nobody, you know, it was a cost of lead for a minute. And then they kind of moved on because that's what happened with all these police shooting cases, too. It'll be big and then they'll move on. But you have to stay the course. And there's a much easier way to make money. And people don't want to get the death threats. People don't want to be ostracized. You know, when you walk by people whispering and everything, people calling you a race baiter, people calling you an outside agitator. What was Daniel Cameron and Breonna Taylor saying? These people who don't live in Kentucky need to stay out of here. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing they said about Martin Luther King. That's the same thing they said about Thurgood Marshall. People coming in to a city to say, this is not right. And if nobody in this city has the courage to say what is right, then we're going to say what's right. I will never forget when you and I, Tess, went to Oklahoma City for those 13 black women that had been raped by that white police officer. And the fact that they called us a race beta, they said Ben Crump bringing racism to Oklahoma City. And I remember Tess was one of the people who kept pushing me to look at that case. And then when I finally got there during the criminal trial, and they had literally the women who were raped by this police officer, they brought them in court and handcuffed and shackles in their jail uniforms. But they had the police officer sitting up there in a shirt and tie, looking like the most dignified person in the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember us ringing the alarm, bringing attention, because it was almost as if these black women were unrapeable that there was no fact pattern that we could give to say that it would be defined as rape. And I remember Tez and I and Demario Solomon Simmons, we working our butts off on social media to try to get people to pay attention to say that their life matter and their life experiences matter. And the first thing the media said to us, Tez, if you remember, Ben Crump bringing racism in America uh, here to Oklahoma mm-hmm. City. And the one thing I said, because I'm a good trial lawyer and we have to think quick on our feet. I said, no, no, I didn't bring racism to Oklahoma City. I just took the blindfolders off so y'all can see it too. Let's let's dig in there. We're still working on that case. That's right. And, and they still don't talk about it as they should. And that's what, what bothers me. You have worked on over 200 cases. 
police brutality cases. We're not talking about all the other cases that you've done, torts, different different things that you that you've done. But 200 police brutality cases, many of which people have never heard of. Many of which would victims still alive. When we talk about the Oklahoma City 13, those women are still alive, still going through that grief, still having to deal with that trauma. And you don't hear them, you know, talk about that. When I hear people say that you've never won a case, it bothers the hell out of me, as you know, because one is the misconception, not understanding you're a civil rights attorney, not the state, you know, you did not lose the Trayvon Martin case. You brought attention to the case. Had you not brought attention over these last 10, 12 years, we now have seen incremental change. Since the George Floyd murder, over 100 cities have now changed police reform on one level or another, whether it's been banding chokeholds or uh, redistributing uh, community uh, resources, money from policing back into community resources. If these cases were not brought into the spotlight consistently, because anybody can do a one-time story, five-minute story, seven-minute story. You have an ability to bring influences together, politicians together, activists together to stay consistent on a message back to back. And what I've always admired about your leadership is you don't just work with people that agree with you. I have great respect for you, great admiration for you, but you allow me to challenge in areas of things that I may not disagree with. You you always listen to say, Tez, I heard what you said. I'm taking it into consideration. And I believe that is what makes, at least from my personal experience, what makes you such an excellent leader with galvanizing people. How do you get folks with like an Al Sharpton and people who have been very critical of Al Sharpton are totally different than Al Sharpton's philosophy to get them together on one accord to keep us all focused on, on the on the task at hand. You know, and Taz, you saw a little bit of that when we were in Los Angeles well, for the legendary music icon George Clinton talking about the National Black Songwriters Association to try to stop this musical sharecropping where he said, Black artists, when we have our creative genius to create this incredible music catalog and this intellectual property, and then we're never compensated at the level of our white counterparts by the music industry. They tried to make us sharecrop. We represent Ed Townsend and Marvin Gaye against Ed Sharon and Sony Corporation to say that that song, Thinking Out Loud, was taken. And the judge agrees we have similarities to the classic hit, Let's Get It On. And so quite literally, you have us taking on this Goliath Corporation. You don't get no bigger than Sony. But it's a matter of principle when you say, Hold on, George Clinton, can I get you here? And Snoop Dogg, will you join in? And Pharrell, will you lend your voice to say that this is about us all? L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. 
And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another misconception out there is that you tell families to forgive the oppressor, to forgive the police, to forgive those who have harmed their loved one. I want to make clear uh, from my experience with you, years of experience with you, I have never witnessed you tell a family that it is best that they forgive. And if they forgive, the settlement will come faster. And if they forgive, because let's just try to make that make sense. Uh, and I want people to really think about this. If, if, if what they're saying is true, that you're telling Hey, say that you forgive them. It's going to get you in a, a settlement. That doesn't even make sense because if they're forgiving them, that means what? That means that they, they shouldn't have to give them anything if that's the case, meaning a settlement, criminal conviction. I definitely don't pay attention to the haters. And I think, Tess, they have to remember part of this is about educating, engaging, and empowering them 
to do better if they know better. So let's clear this up like you said. It's two separate things completely. Criminal prosecution and the civil courts are just two different forms of justice. One really has nothing to do with the other. I think the district attorney does the criminal prosecution. They don't have to listen to the mayor. They don't have to listen to the city at all if they don't want to. And so you come in and you try your best to be as effective and as strategic as possible to get justice as much as you can for these families. As you said, Ted, you are absolutely right. If you're talking about forgiving and so forth, then what is that signal to the jury and also the community? Say, if you've forgiven them yourself, why am I out here marching? Why am I out here demonstrating? Jury, why are you going to uh, punish him? Because vengeance is the law. That's what they're saying when they say they forgive the person. But what I never do and never will do is get between a client and their faith. I would have rather, in, in both of John's case, when they had that similar moment when his little brother forgave his killer, Amber Geiger hugged her. That certainly didn't help us in any way in the legal matters. And we wouldn't have advised that. But I do believe that when people have their faith and serve their God, you don't try to stand in between them. I know my mother raised me in the church and I have strong faith. And I know there are times to exercise my faith and not. And rarely do I do that when I'm up here advising people because it is a legal matter that I'm advising them on. And we will have time to pray and forgive outside of this courtroom. But right now when we're in this courtroom, I think often of what Michael Brown mother said, Leslie McSpadden, Negro, get off the fence. You either with us or you with them because they killing our children. And anytime I'm having a moment of contemplation, I think back to Mike Brown, mother, who makes that very clear for me. Which side you on? And we got to be on the side for fighting for black people because our children are being taken from us. Beyond that test, I think about the fact that when Jacob Blake's mother says she prays for all of our national leaders, I, I was literally shocked during that interview with Don Lemon, when she said that, you were the first one to point out. I looked at your face and you, you were laughing at me because, you know, I didn't want at all anybody to think that my clients were condoning the acts of Donald Trump and all the racist things that he said during his administration, whether it's African in these asshole countries or whether it's when the white supremacists were trying to take that, standing in the uh, way of taking down the Confederate flags, and he said there were good people on both sides, or this latest thing that he said, him and his attorney general bar, that there is no such thing as systemic racism that exists in America. And so if a client says something, uh, trying to say, I'm praying for Donald Trump, you can best believe Ain't nobody associated with me advise them to say that as much as I oppose everything that man stands for. But what you don't do is get between a person in their faith, a person in their God. They have to live up to who they believe in and so forth. 
And so hopefully that puts that to bed, Taz, because it's just asinine when I think about it. And I don't want to lose time paying attention to that kind of stuff because we have so many positive things. As you know, what we're doing in our law firm to help uplift the culture, to uplift the community, and to uplift our people. Well, I know that, but they gonna know it today. You know, it, it's been important to me. You know, I'm always saying, Ben, they need to know this. All the time that you're interviewed, it's only a few minutes, and when it is an extended interview, it's all it's always about the cases. It's few times that people get this you know, to get to hear you in this way. I know there's been print profiles written up about you, many things written about you. But this interview is so important, Ben, because these are the type of misconceptions. And they'll find something wrong with this because this is just what they do. That's their job, but hey, Ted, you told me that. That's exactly, that's their job. And it's my job to be straight shot, no chaser too, and get this shit straight. And <laughs> and it was important. It was important that they know that Ben Crump has not told no family to forgive nobody. That is not what you do. It is unethical. And it's not why you're there. And that that is important. So I, I'm so glad that we put that to rest. But speaking of all the positive things that your firm is doing, because I think this is important as we uh, move further in this conversation, your firm, Ben Crump Law, represents not just police brutality. That's another myth. Again, this show is about setting the record straight. Myths and misconceptions of Attorney Crump. Not just police shootings. Recently, there was a case in Disney representing a white woman. You have worked on, as you as you mentioned earlier in our interview, Flint victims. You've also worked with women on the Johnson & Johnson case. There's several cases, the National Black Farmers, so many other things that you do outside of this that always doesn't necessarily get the media attention that it deserves. And and you know why? Because they always want to be able to put you in a box. They really don't want to talk about all the other things because then if they talk about all the other things, then it is harder to put you in a box. So can you speak to a little bit of that on some of the other cases that you're working with uh, that people may not be aware of that have nothing to do with police uh, brutality? Uh, yes, Tiz, and really civil rights work is not the most prosperous work. So you have to do other work to be able to finance these civil rights cases. And so we talked about Flint, uh, how we were able to successfully achieve a historic settlement for the children of Flint. And that's not done yet, but it's a, a situation where you look at the environmental injustices that our people face. And so we do a lot of that work. And then we look at the Johnson & Johnson talcum powder litigation, which many people still don't know to this day, Tess, and that's why I try to use my influence and platform that God blessed me with to try to tell everybody I can about the injustices that exist in the world that's affecting our people. The talcum powder litigation literally is Johnson & Johnson, one of the Fortune 40 cases. I'm talking about one of the 40 largest corporations in the world have prayed and targeted black and minority women with their baby powder. And, you know, it's a culture thing. We were always taught to put baby powder down there in our privates to make sure we were fresh. I mean, my mother did it, my aunts, my cousins, everybody. And so what Johnson & Johnson neglected to tell people in the late 90s when these reports started coming out, that there was casual connection between using baby powder on your uh, private parts and ovarian cancer. Well, white women, once that came out, they stopped using it. But you know what those son of a guns did, Tess? They looked at the market research and they said, well, we noticed a great fall off of white women, but we see that black women and Hispanic women, they really haven't stopped using it. 
So let's redouble our efforts. Let's go market to music festivals. Let's go market to, you know, a uh, civil rights organization to encourage more black women and Hispanic women to use our baby powder, even though they have memorandums within their corporate files that said there was a connection between ovarian cancer and the use of talcum powder. And then we look at the black farmers with the Roundup, you know, the weed killer that we use in our yard and they use out in the fields. And that's causing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And so these black farmers have been marginalized and disenfranchised. Everybody sees commercials every day about Roundup settlement, Roundup litigation and so forth. But they were forgetting the black people and the black farmers. So we made it our mission to go represent them. And now we represent thousands upon thousands of people in that litigation. And then I think about the fact that we are doing the LGTBQ community litigation against Trabada, which was a HIV drug that was causing renal failure and then until you lose bone density. And so we were working on that type of litigation. Our work will speak for us, people who like us are going to like us. People who don't like us are not going to like us. I have very little time. I, I think like T.S. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, the most dangerous man in the world is the person who is so focused on what they're doing that they have very little time to consider what your objective is. Absolutely. And you do that like no other. I, I just want everyone to know being around you and I know you're working on a documentary that's coming out. I cannot wait for that to release so people can see all the different directions that you're pulled into and how you're able to keep a calm and a peace about yourself and work with these families to be their brother, a father figure to some, pastor, mentor, friend, legal counsel. You know, all of those things to just keep the family moving forward. You know, when we deal with these families, we walk into pre-existing conditions that had nothing to do with the case. <laughs> you know, that nothing to do with the case. And you have to, and it's a science and an art, you know, working through all of those things. I want you to get your flowers while you're alive and the history we told while you're alive. Because if people can celebrate Johnny Cochran and how he used the media to create a narrative and to fight a negative narrative, whether people believe OJ did it or not, the point is, he was able to utilize the media to tell the story. And so if we can celebrate that, why not celebrate the fact that you've been able to do this a dozen plus times on a high profile level, but still representing many cases that people have never, ever heard about. If you like what you heard on Straight Shot No Chaser, please subscribe and drop a five star review and tell a friend. Straight Shot No Chaser is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm Teslin Figaro, and I'd like to thank our producer, editor, mixer, Dwayne Crawford, and our executive producer, Charlemagne Nagat. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 